okay do we just record with each other now yeah hello it's just us it's just us just the two Two of us us. let's talk a bit about this episode about what we're gonna do yes this is the final episode of our very first series and i am so pleased that we have made it As far as episode 10, we did it. With a season finale, we thought we'd do something a little different. And so we thought we'd ask you, the listeners. Yeah, we're shining that light right in your eye. You've been here. You've been listening to everyone else spill it all out. What about you? Yeah. What are you doing, listener, to investigate your age? Yeah, what are you doing? Well, we asked. and And you answered. Yeah, boy, did you answer. We had some very rageful angry responses don't fucking ask me a question <laughs> the fuck do you think you want to get your own material <laughs> it was mainly that. i didn't agree to be part of this yeah it was mainly it was that. your idea you do it <laughs> and we were like sorry mum okay that's fine <laughs> sorry to my mother she just wanted to listen she doesn't listen doesn't listen to it too much swearing not enough sewing not a sewing? Se- yeah, not a sewing podcast. I didn't know your mum was into sewing. I don't feel like we know each other. <laughs> <laughs> or I know you and I need to spend some quality <laughs> time. With Janet. Yes, yeah, so you have sent us some brilliant suggestions. So we have cherry-picked six of our favourites. And then Helen and I are going to throw a couple of our own in for a season finale. So um, should we play? Shall we play a game? Yes! Are you ready? Yeah! Let's play Eight Things! Oh, hold on, I'm going to cough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, did you okay. see I even used my elbow? Yeah, you did. You're very, you trained yourself well there. Thank you very much. You actually, what's even better is how proud you looked of yourself then. <laughs> no, I just find it weird that I did that because maybe normally I'd just be like, <coughs> like, oh no, I just did it. <laughs> number one self-centered people thing number two loud motorbikes being deliberately loud think we're all impressed fuck off (laughs) thing number three street signs that aren't clear thing number four tories (laughs) thing number five people who play music really loudly on their phone in public thing number six climate change and now those were the audience ones. Now, yeah. you, Lauren, thing number seven. Vampires. No way. <laughs> <laughs> that is not what I expected you to say at all, and I love it. <laughs> I think I need to preface it more. No, we're going to but... preface it later. Okay, and Helen, to finish our final one of the series... Thing number eight. When people tell you that you're annoyed or keep telling you that you're annoyed and you weren't annoyed, but then because they keep saying that, you say something with an annoyed tone and then they use the tone that you've used as proof that you must be annoyed and then you've proved their point, but you still didn't. It didn't It didn't prove their point at all. And now it's the basis for a, an endless, pointless <laughs> argument that makes you so annoyed you want to shoot yourself in the face. Yay! Yay! <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Do you understand why? Yes. <laughs> yes. So much. Well, what an amazing list. I mean, I liked the the length and 
the specificity mm. of loud motorbikes being deliberately loud. Think we're all impressed. Fuck off. Yeah. For me, it's not like, you know, something might be loud. And I'm not annoyed by motorbikes. I like motorbikes. But the thing about it is they're not going somewhere to get A to B. They're not even going somewhere for the pleasure of having a ride. They're going up and down your street mm-hmm. uh, as loud as they can. Mm-hmm. Because it's somehow impressive that their motorbike sounds like their engine just got crapped out of, like, the back of a warplane. Yeah. You know, like, why is that yeah. impressive? Why is it impressive that your mo- motorbike sounds like your exhaust is broken? Like, I'm sure it's like this, it's like the superbike thing, right? It's yeah. like, this engine is so powerful, listen to me roar. But you are ultimately just driving around and around a cul-de-sac. It feels like it's usually... <sighs> like they don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. You're not going somewhere. You're, and I can understand it. Like I can understand you got your bike and you want to ride around, but it's, it's where it feels like the intention is to make as mm. much noise as possible. It's like somebody just walking down the street screaming. It ties quite nicely with self-centered, which was a thing that we got at the beginning. It's this lack of awareness for the people, but it's also this idea that everybody should be impressed and excited about about looking at you and like Mm. what you're doing that is essentially obnoxious like everybody else is supposed to have a particular reaction to that like it's not that you don't care about other people's reaction it's like you're trying to engineer a reaction whether that's impressed or annoyed you know maybe they don't care maybe that's I just wonder whether it's the same kind of thing because you're like showing off but then I feel weird when I say that because I feel like the showing off thing gets used against people so much too. People get told not to show off or not to draw attention to themselves in a really detrimental way too. So I don't want to say it like that. But as opposed to yeah. like, hey, I'm going to go outside your window a hundred times screaming at the top of my voice yeah, so that you look different. at me. Yeah, that's different. Well, isn't it funny? I don't know if you've ever felt this, but anybody who's got like a car that they, I guarantee wherever you are, somebody within the like public who would have heard it either in your group or somebody will go, huh, all right, you've got a small dick. Which is not okay, really, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. I said that one time and then I got properly bothered looked for it by the person sitting next to me and then I thought yeah fair enough it's not a very nice thing to say <laughs> let's just unpick that for a second yeah. why would that mean you've got a small penis it's supposed to be that overcompensation thing but then you know like the that you're overcompensating but- for something <laughs> and that and the engine the mechanical engine is like synonymous with masculinity as oh. is a large phallus because wouldn't you just walk around with like a huge squash or like aubergine or something. <laughs> I don't think it's like literal like that. It's like testosterone and masculinity. But it's- Although, you know, if we had the days where women would wear dresses that made their hips look about a metre wide. Right. Right. So where's exactly. the squash down the pants fashion? <laughs> yeah. Or like the blow up banana, the inflatable banana toy. Just walk down the street with that and everyone would be like, obviously you've got a big dick because you're carrying this. This enormous because only banana. someone with a big penis could carry a large banana under yeah. one arm and not fall over. That makes more sense now. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm really embarrassed now that I'm no, I've got I think very it's confusing the thing about somebody always says that. It is like it's one of those things that's an acceptable um 
it's seen as an acceptable thing to say, mm. but really it's like massively unhelpful in terms of like the way that it's reinforcing st- all sorts of stuff to yeah. do with uh, gender and to do with like what, what the thing is that makes you masculine or not masculine and what that means yeah. and like the associations of power that are allowed to be with that and the associations that aren't allowed to be with it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I have, I've never seen a woman do it, which I probably is why, I don't know, nobody's gone like, all right. <laughs> God, you've obviously got a really small uterus. But I wonder whether this, if we're coming specifically back to the motorbike thing, this is because you're taking up space, regardless of your gender, disrupting people by being really loud, which brings it on really nicely to the next one of people who play music really loud on their phone. I think I had this conversation the other week with my boyfriend, I was like, if the music's good, I don't mind. If we're on the bus, for example, or on the train and somebody's playing music on their phone, but it's music that I'm kind of enjoying and I'm like getting a good vibe to, then I won't complain. But if it's music that I don't like, that's when I take umbrage with it. Also, if you play, because we talked about this when we put this list together and you said you're one of these people that does this. You don't always do it, but I have, I, I have been known to do it. And I said to you, I did it this morning. <laughs> yeah. But um, firstly, I think, interestingly, something to do with like, playing your music loud and like you said the thing with the motorbike engine or anything that's like hey I'm putting a lot of personal noise into this public space Mm. the you know like there's an element of that like it's it's just quite um antisocial you're taking control over a public space uh, without any kind of negotiation not that everyone on a bus is going to negotiate what music they should listen to but maybe we should that would be cool (laughs) hey guys I've got some disco on my phone oh yeah I was gonna play this new album but I have I do sometimes when I'm out walking and I want to listen to something and I don't have my headphones, I like I turn it down when other people are coming because I'm like really self-conscious. I'm not necessarily listening to something cool. Maybe if I was listening to something brilliant, but like, you know, quite often I'm listening to self-help advice or <laughs> like some kind of, yeah. or like, um, you know what, this happened when I was younger. I think I was like maybe 17 or 18 mm. and I was driving home from somewhere and Mm. it was really late and I'd been on the motorway so I had my my volume in my car up really loud just because you know the motorway noise and all of that I had a very Mm. noisy car like it was a real old clanker so I had to like turn everything up like super loud and then as I was getting into London I um I like stopped at traffic lights and I I rolled had my windows rolled down And uh, so suddenly everything stopped and everything around me was really quiet and my speakers were like blaring out of my window. Uh, but the thing I had been listening to was the audiobook of Babe, the Sheep Pig. <laughs> so I was suddenly like aware of myself that like I'm this young person in a car with my speakers blaring in the middle of like a crossroads and like seriously all that was coming out of the speakers top volume it was like babe trotted down the hill as fast as his little trotters would carry him (laughs) you know like it was the most uncool thing I could have been doing listening to at that moment (laughs) it's so funny because I remember when we first met and we talked about growing up and you were like I was from Croydon (laughs) and like I grew up in Croydon and I obviously imagined you like so cool like street smart like 
hanging out at bus stops. I think we talked about like getting pissed at a bus stop or something. I was like, oh, I didn't do any of that. And like, this is who you were in your car listening to Harry Potter and Babe the Sheepick. <laughs> oh my God. Pick, you know, Dick King oh Smith. What a legend. You're right. I did all of that stuff running around Croydon with my keys between my fingers. But at heart, I just wanted fun on the farm. Fun on the farm with little pigs. <laughs> I always like the creatures. I like a little story, especially when I'm driving. Keeps you awake. Oh. Oh my god! Do you listen to Animal Farm as well? Oh Just no, all pig stories. Yeah, I didn't oh, have a bit that too. one. I would have, that. you know, I would have listened to any story. I just like someone talking to me. It was before podcasts or friends. <laughs> <laughs> You got there before me. <laughs> oh, oh, no. I, I think I wonder if this is a really good moment to uh, talk about climate change. This is a special one. Yeah. So a few episodes ago. Oh no! Do you know what? Actually, on the first episode that we ever did of this, I spoke about my nephew with a litter picker. This was on the Lucy Trod episode. Mm. Uh, that he'd got a litter picker for Christmas and that he was picking up litter in his local park. And, you know, he's really passionate uh, about the environment and all of that. My dad ended up telling my nephew that he'd been featured. And I ended up talking to him on the phone about climate change. And he was so passionate. I just said, oh, you know, I think it was great what you do with your litter picker. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, actually, I've written a speech. We'll play a little thing for you. Hi, my name's Oliver, and I'd just like to make a small speech to those of you who are watching, and that speech will begin now. Even though COVID is concerning us, that doesn't stop climate change from rapidly heating our planet and pollution. But if we try and multitask, like if you do something simple, for example, picking up just a few pieces of rubbish in your local park or field or woods, or putting rubbish in the bin. If everyone helps a little bit, it can make a big difference and then eventually this will be over. Thank you for listening. Remember, even a small difference when everyone can make a big change. His thing was, and he said to me, like, there is a point I want to make. What with COVID being like, everybody's so worried about COVID and nobody's worrying about climate change. And it's really important mm. to speak to somebody that young and like, you know, like really speaking about something real. How old is he? He's eight. He knows that the world is dying and that if we don't, if we, if we can't keep our focus on more than one problem at once, we're fucked. And he knows this. Mm. And yet he's mm. seeing all of the adults around him and in our society and in the world that he can see mm. not being able to concentrate on more than one problem at once, even though it's mm. absolutely imperative that we do, that we hold yeah. stuff like COVID or stuff like climate change. And at the same time that we're tackling injustice in our society that we're you know there are so many things we need to do right now and we need mm -hmm. to do all of them simultaneously <laughs> and we can't just yeah. why can't we hold one more than one thing in our head at the same time you know and then you've got a child telling you that because we can only I guess focus on the things that are directly affecting us right this second and so much of the issues that are faced at the moment for example how the lockdown situation is happening. The only way the government is able to prioritise how that works is as long as it doesn't affect the short term, which is like the economy. Mm. In the same way that most of the older generation, people that have been left in the care homes, for example, well, it's like, you're not our focus anymore. We don't need to think about you. We just 
put you away. But the children growing up are going, we need to be thinking about what's going to be happening for our future. And the same thing that's happening with Brexit. None of us are going to, well, the older generation or the people that voted for Brexit, for example, are never going to live long enough to see the after effects of what that will cause. They're just thinking about the right here, right now. We, we talked about this in previous episodes, but the younger generation, there's so much responsibility put on them now. Oh, well, you'll fix it. You'll sort all of that stuff out. So you guys have got that. And in the meantime, we'll just fix what's happening right now without thinking about the long term about everything else that's going on. I was really inspired when I heard his letter, but also it makes me feel quite sad. So there's a real bittersweetness of it. Do you know what I think I love is like, he's got a proactive idea. You've got something where on the one level, the real state of things for the majority Mm. of people, it's way beyond us. It's bigger than us. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing what we can. It's like frustrating not to feel that you're in any position to really make the changes that need to be made because they're being made by people with a hell of a lot more power than Mm. you and that Mm. they have their own agendas really, which is really why a lot of this stuff doesn't get done and doesn't get put through. You know, I think if we felt that our governments across the world were acting in good faith and were really concerned about trying to govern us in a way that is the way that you kind of imagine what governments are for, (laughs) Um, then, you know, there are things that can be done and there would be laws that would be able to be put into place and there would be changes that would be able to be made systemically. Those things are not being put in place, not because they can't be, but because the people at the top don't don't benefit from that. And I think the, the other side of it is, I suppose it's a bit like what we've spoken about before, you know, with Lucy Trobb with littering. It's hard not feeling like everybody cares enough to bother to try to do something, even if they're doing something small. Like you you can be an eight-year-old kid and you can decide you're going to go and pick up litter because that's the contribution you can make. Well, if an eight-year-old kid can make a contribution in whatever tiny way, then like there are small things that all of us can do. And I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. are doing them. You know what I mean? And I genuinely Mm -hmm. believe that a lot of the time when the impetus is being put on the individual to make these huge overarching systemic changes, that is part of the bullshit too, because it's like, hey, it's your fault because you bought an extra Sainsbury's bag rather than, oh, it's our fault because we're fucking funding gas and oil and we're shutting down green legislation. I remember being that age and collecting the, there was like a magnet that you could check whether your cans were aluminium and whether they were recycled. Yes, yes. And like watching Captain Planet and being like real Mm. like green we've known about this for so long that's also what makes me Mm. angry because seeing the Mm. new generation coming up and caring about climate change it's not like they're the first ones that have had to care about this we've all had to care about Mm. it and this is how fucking slow it's being that we're even now still arguing about whether we should take that seriously and i wonder whether it's because there are leaders which i I use that as a very loose term um, and people in power, which I guess I also use in a very loose term, still denying it and claiming it doesn't exist, even in a stage where we think it's negligence that you say things like that because those small proportions of people who take everything as read from what any of these ridiculous human beings will say in front of people. But like you say, this isn't something that we've just, same way with the whole Black Lives Matter thing, like, oh, oh, now there's a problem. Now we understand there's a problem with race because we're all talking about it now. Yeah. It's and let's really actually... slowly start to think about whether we might start to engage with that. No, like we're already fucking years behind 
the temptation to go, oh, the younger generation are so great, they'll sort it out. It's kind of the same as Matthew Zia was saying about how incredibly proficient he has had to become at race theory in order to explain, you know, he has to do that. He didn't choose to do that. And it's the same way to say like, oh, yeah, the kids now will sort out our mess when they grow up. Uh, It's up to women to sort out misogyny and violence against Mm. women. It's up to people of colour and black people to, to sort out race racial issues issues. but unless you're marginalized or in a minority if it doesn't affect you directly then why would you yeah i mm, suppose the the point is to acknowledge the power of being in that place where you're seen as the normal everyday person that has to have their eyes open to this because the world is built for you you know why is it so important that white people realize this stuff in order for change to come because white people hold the power and it happens in all kinds of ways if representation wasn't such an issue like in positions of power but also just in Mm. the way that we interact and the way that our society is created and the stories and the voices and the things that we care about that we don't view white straight cisgendered able-bodied as the norm and everything else as not the norm and even on a global scale white people are not the majority you know it's just where the power is held so it's like even that minority majority thing is a kind of a squiff understanding that we have, right? So it's mm. like, we need to be aware of it because we hold the privilege of deciding to see something or deciding not to bother to look at it. Whereas obviously, if, like you said, yeah. if you're experiencing it, you don't get to look away. Yeah, yeah. Hi, yeah. Hi, thank you, nephew. <laughs> and I should say, thank he's not allowed that. to listen to the podcast because of all the swearing. And in this episode, probably all the dick talk. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to explain to him why I was on the phone to him and he was like I have a question and I was like okay and he was like why do you have swearing in your podcast <laughs> and I was like oh yeah well what because it's, it's about anger <laughs> and I was like sometimes people like want to say all kinds of words it's emotional you know? response. and I was like how do I explain yeah. this to him not inadvertently teaching him that he should swear because it's not my place to teach him I'm not his parent yeah <laughs> But it is your job as an auntie to fuck him up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, come to my house and you <laughs> can it? say fucking shit as much as you like. Um, can we talk about vampires now? Yes, we can. <laughs> I really want to know. <laughs> no, you're just walking down the street and then it's night time. <laughs> suddenly... Some fucker in a velvet coat <laughs> beckons you down the back of the pub. <laughs> To be fair, one of my favourite films is What We Do in the Shadows. So I'm not a big hater on those vampires. They are the greatest. Um, What I mean by vampires is I mean like emotional vampires Ah. or like joy vampires. Like people... Real vampires. Real vampires. Well, I don't know. And they do exist. Oh boy. And they come out any time of the day they don't wait and you can eat as much garlic as you want or as many crosses and they will just they'll just suck the garlic out of you until you have to eat more because all the flavor's gone and then they'll probably moan about that as well Um, (laughs) i didn't know there was a word for these type of people so for those who people who have never come across an emotional vampire let's just call them a vampire because i'd like you know if you're just tuning in now why would you just tune in now? That's weird. Maybe you're doing the scrubbing <laughs> thing. <laughs> like it's the radio. Again, still thinking we're on the fucking radio. We've still not got what a podcast is. What is a podcast? Is this not live? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, these are people who, when something wonderful or joyous happens, they have an ability to 
I was going to say literally suck the joy out of it, but that is not what I mean. <laughs> Get a little straw. I sink their teeth it into your neck. literally puncture you with a straw. But it feels like that. It fucking feels like that. Like if anything joyful happens, they take all the joy from this situation. And often that is because they will make that about them. So how might that happen? They just can't be happy for you. Or they can't be happy for anybody or they don't want people to be happy because they are not happy is what it is. They can't find a place in them to be happy and joyful for that person. It's like they move the conversation to be about themselves straight away so that you don't get your thing or they or they get all awkward about it so that you can't really like bounce the energy with them. They're not sharing your energy. They're just like, no. Yeah. And it's not often it's not really about the person that's had the good news, but it's also like never wanting other people to be happy, only ever wanting to sit in people's misery. And we've had a really awful year for everybody and we've got some friends who have had some really good news recently and we were really overjoyed and then you know everybody was really happy and then they're like vampires come in and suck all the joy out of it because it's like well how dare other people have a good piece of news when I'm not having that good piece of news and like I just think like we should grasp onto any joy any joy that is out there in the world I'm not disputing that the stuff that is making that vampire unhappy I'm not disputing that because it's really difficult but it can't always be it can't always be about you it can't always be like that and also like why do we have to have this why does it need to be your joy only like joy is shareable right joy is an energy joy joy you can you can share in someone's joy and throw your energy into it and increase the joy by adding to it. And yeah, then I suppose in the vampiric, vampiric sense. Oh yes, 100%. In order to avoid that, you need to add your energy to the energy that's going and celebrate it and lift it up and allow that to be there for the person who's experiencing that. And you'll get joy from that too if you actually care, if you care about that person's happiness, if you care about something good happening. I suppose it kind of goes with like jealousy. You know, like why does it have to be that every good thing is happening is happening to you? Otherwise it doesn't matter. You could just be like, hey, this is a really good thing. This is really good news for somebody I care about. About, and that in itself is good news. And if there is, you know, this does come with some small caveats, for example, if that joy is directly affecting you, like if if a person is being really mean <laughs> with the joy and you're like, I can't, like I'm just trying to have the empathy there because I'm not, I'm not at all saying that these feelings aren't valid, but I think it's just sometimes it's really kind and generous to be supporting other people. <laughs> If somebody gets a job, for example, and you're not working and somebody else is working, I'm just calling that one out as an example. That's nothing to do with you not getting the job unless you both went for it. (laughs) Somebody else, that other person gets it and they're like, I am the greatest. Everybody else who auditioned for this was a piece of shit. (laughs) Like, Then fine. But those are the levels of separation. Like your feelings are valid if you're feeling like disappointed for not getting a job in general but that mustn't take away something good for somebody else like they're two separate things yeah and they they need to be separated out i'm not ever disputing the validity of the feelings that we might feel when we feel sad or disappointed or jealous they're valid and they we feel them and they come from a place that is important and vital and we need to access them and understand why they're there but to suck the joy we're all responsible for our own emotions yeah really like and yes again there are caveats there are 
things that make it much more difficult sometimes for some people to be able to handle those things or to control them. But I think in general, it's like exactly what you said about being able to separate. Like yeah. if I feel a small amount of disappointment in me on hearing someone's good news, that's something that I can register in myself and think, yeah. oh, hey, this is highlighting for me something that maybe I want in my life that I'm not having. That's for yeah. me to deal with, right? Maybe even if you're not capable of really throwing yourself into it, maybe you're really heartbroken about something or whatever you also don't have to like bring down that balloon like you've got mm. a shotgun I feel like I've experienced this thing on both sides too like it's mm. not just about joy I've had experiences with certain people who can't share in my joy or my pain <laughs> and I feel yeah. sometimes like I try to give them both things it's like do you ever have that experience with people where it's like when you're in pain or when you're going through really rough times you know it's like they're not able to handle that so you're like okay cool you know that's fine I'm yeah. not gonna put that on you but you you might think to yourself oh that's a bit you know that person doesn't want to deal with that energy from you so mm -hmm. then you might have some good news or you might be having a better time when you decide to share in that because you're like hey <laughs> like okay I'm on mm -hmm. the other side now these things are good and they can't share in that either it's like do you know what I mean? I think it's yeah. just, I have this with certain people that it mm. then becomes like, actually, this is nothing to do with me. This is nothing to do with what I'm feeling or not feeling or whether that's what you need from me or whether that's good enough. This is to do with your inability to connect with me on whatever level I'm on. They're not interested in anything else to do with anyone else. It's got to be around them and the world that they're living in in this bubble that they're in. Yeah, I'm I guess like that's really like a really good crux of the thing that we're talking about, about self-centered people too. It's not just about being like, I'm going to make a noise or whatever. It's like mm. nothing can be of importance that isn't directly about you and your experience and everybody giving focus and attention to that. And when you expect that from other people, but you can't ever extend it out. I know I've probably done it. You know, we've all done it at times. You know what I mean? And I think... I don't, I, I don't think these people do know. I like, I think this is where the level of self-awareness isn't there. You know, saying this with empathy, this person is so wrapped up in their own world of like... They're in their coffin, they're in their like vampire coffin and they're so in their darkness of what that is, they can't break that. But only they can be responsible for that. I think is this is the difference, like, because they won't allow themselves to hear that. And that's always hard. That's always a really difficult thing. You know, that's what really amazing therapy is for because like that is what your, that level of self-reflection and that level of personal work is so much about what has happened for you over years. And now you say, well, this is who I am and this is it and I can't be changed. And that's, I've heard that so many times. Mm. I get really emotional because part of my levels of self-esteem is like, wanting everybody to be okay and you know my own self-esteem is like wanting to be liked and people being all right and trying to fix and 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 it got to a point where I was like I have to not let that penetrate the joy that I'm feeling right now you know because then you don't see the other people that you might feel joyful with you know you just you only see you only see the vampire you don't see all the other like lovely yeah. things that you can share I this information what I was going to ask is like is again like so like about the feeling on you the impact mm. on you when it happens to you mm. is like in that moment you get a response that is like the opposite of the response that you wanted from that person and then how do we protect our own energy all of us as mm. individuals too that that it can't be sucked out of us you know because it's like yeah. we're all quite you know we're interdependent creatures we're yeah. social creatures and it's like it's really heartbreaking when somebody can't 
be with you, especially in a moment of joy and especially yeah. if you've struggled a lot to get there. That's it. I think that can be the difference. As human beings, it's just really lovely to be able to support somebody and be like, well done. You really deserve this. This is excellent. And I just feel sad, I think. So maybe like I've used it as a like angry thing because I think often it does make me emotional. Like it does make me frustrated and angry. But I think it's like as a coping strategy for me, I I had to go, well, I can't control how you will respond to things anymore. So I can't be responsible for how you, that's not about me. I think why it's on like my list is because it's frustrating because like it doesn't have to be this way. Something's got to shift. You've got to be willing to be there in that shift. Yeah, there's a level where people do this and they're quite conscious about it and they just, it feels almost blasé. Like they just don't want to give you your moment. You know, there's an element of like controlling the dialogue, controlling the conversation, controlling the energy, redirecting everything back to themselves at all times. And when you know somebody like that and you experience it a lot and you're kind of like, oh, here we go again. (laughs) That's where it becomes a thing that slots into the anger category because you're like, yes, oh, really? Now, again, that's okay, right. And you, you kind of, you find yourself when you have relationships with people that are like this for whatever reason that you keep bashing up against it. It's not just that they're having a low day and they couldn't receive news very well. It's like, uh, it's an inability or an unwillingness, more likely, it feels yeah. like, to uh, to ever pass the baton. And I think what that communicates constantly is, and whether this is right or wrong, what it communicates is, I don't care about you. You know, it's like, I don't want to hear your thing. I don't give a shit. If you're happy, well, fuck you, because I'm not happy. Mm. If you're unhappy, it's not as bad as mm. I've got it, and I don't want to talk about it. And then I suppose, yeah, you know, like what, like you said, there comes points where you have to go, okay, like I have a choice to make about who I'm surrounding myself with. And like, and that's really tough. It's like interesting as we talk about it, there kind of, there comes up all these flags that feel like they're about why people might feel so unable to connect with people around them. And obviously there are loads of reasons for that. You know, there's that thing between responsibility and blame. And I think for me, like, it's a huge thing of like taking responsibility for yourself, for your thinking, for your energy, for your attitude. And like you say, when you've been through like seriously bad stuff, like being able to acknowledge that. Mm. Even though that happened, it's your responsibility to deal with your internal. You can take support whilst you deal with that. I'm not ever suggesting that if somebody is experiencing a low mood or having a tough time, that it is like I'm saying to somebody, it's your responsibility to sort it out. As soon as you are willing and are able to get the help, for example, if the person says... I'm having a really tough time and I'm aware that this is the issue. As a as a friend or a peer or a colleague, I think it is your job, for want of better words, is to help facilitate that person to get the support from a professional. I think we talked about this before in Teddy's <laughs> Teddy's episode. But if that person is so unwilling to get the help, and I've seen it happen, I've seen people who are quite vampiric. It's a word now. Recognise it over time and then slowly start to shift and change. And then we've all been like cheerleading them quietly at the side, being like, yeah, it's happening finally. And we'll be with them. And often you can't. When you're in really low mood, often you don't recognise it when you can't break the bubble. Yeah, I think this this one on this list comes with a few caveats for me because I just... 
again, was really worried that it would just come across like I was being a complete arsehole. People have a tough time, and especially this year. But I feel like that's also not an excuse to be like, well, everything's shit and everything will be shit forever. There's some good things that are happening. And those are the bits of hope for us. Those are the light at the end of the tunnel for us, that it's still possible to feel something other than absolute dismay. I think that's where I feel like if... If that's the way it feels to you, then you might not have any control over that being the way that it feels. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, where it comes vampiric, where it's in the vampiric sense, is like when you make the choice to make sure that it's like to deny anything around you to the contrary. Yes. And it's not like, you know, I think again, and this is kind of what I mean about uh, responsibility versus blame. If I say someone's internal is their responsibility and I fully fucking include myself in this, like, boy, do I. (laughs) I understand how I know how fucking hard it is and I know that it, you mm. need outside help and I don't think when I say it's your responsibility I don't in any way mean blame but I think it comes across mm. like that because we have a difficulty separating responsibility with blame because we are in a quite a blameful society and in the same way as what you're talking about with I think we're also we're obviously in an engineered competitive society so we are everyone is struggling and it's constantly reinforced to us that it's dog eat dog it's me or you so that's one reason why I think it's quite difficult for people to feel happy for someone else when they're struggling and that's a lie by the way (laughs) you know like uh if you look in nature, you know, survival of the fittest and competition and all of that is actually way, way secondary to, you know, working together, essentially. Think about like um, a herd or a pack or mm. any group of animals. Like they're not each out for themselves. <laughs> if they were, there would be no fucking herd. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, that's just something that's like a lie. I think that we've been told if you get something, then it means I lost something which is That's not it. true. And then also blame and responsibility. So if, mm-hmm. if it's my responsibility to do something, and again, even when we talk about how, guess what, it's our responsibility as white people to deal with racism, or guess what, it's the responsibility of men to look at the way that patriarchy impacts the way that they behave. It's like, these mm-hmm. are our responsibilities. And the trouble comes where a white person in that instance will go, oh, well, you're saying it's all my fucking fault. I think this runs so deep. There is a difference. And this is even on a personal level. So when we're talking about working on our internal emotions and reactions and the things that fuck us up and trigger us and the things that we project out there and the things that we want and need and expect from other people, that is my responsibility to work on that. Doesn't mean it's my fault. Doesn't mean fuck me how, you know, I'm an asshole because I've had these things kind of like grained into me, but it is my responsibility to examine them. And if I don't, if I choose not to, and especially if I choose to shit on your parade when you're trying to do it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. I think that's brilliantly put. I think that's it. That's it. There's nothing. It's not, it's, it's not black and white. It's not a binary subject, but um, really fucks me off. <laughs> a final one. Talk to me about people who say that you're annoyed when you're not annoyed which makes you annoyed Uh, it's just i think it's because and i again like i think it's in some respects fairly i'm sure everybody has had this i suppose what bothers me is feeling that i'm in some way being manipulated uh it's like when somebody puts you in a position to give them a certain reaction so that they can use that reaction as a reason to treat you the way they're treating you that's on a scale that's a spectrum Mm. of stuff so I you know that can go for like a really small little moment of 
passive aggression where someone's not listening to you right the way up to like gaslighting. It's like, especially if I am actually putting super effort into managing my own responses, I'm not flying off the handle. I'm not reacting. The person who's doing it has already decided what you are, has already decided the response that they expect you to give. And then mm-hmm. either will push you until you give it mm-hmm. or just isn't noticing the fact that that's not what you're giving them at all. <laughs> yeah. And I understand that like, you know, maybe my self-awareness is not perfect and maybe I'm giving undercurrents that I'm telling myself I'm not giving, you know what I mean? But I think it's that that's not necessarily so much the thing. It's more just like... <laughs> This is like a little silly example, right? When I was at school, me and my friend were sitting in our maths class and our maths teacher was like famously... um he was hilarious, but also an asshole. Uh, mm. Anyway, like he came around to my friend and he st- stood there, like standing over her desk and she she was kind of like started to get uncomfortable. And he said, oh, look at you, you've gone all red. And she hadn't, she was just doing her work. And she was like, no, I haven't. And in that moment she went red and he went, you have now and it was like a really weird that's like an example of what I'm talking about that people do and I think the reason why it annoys me is because in some examples like that I think people do it for pleasure and for power yeah you know I mean yeah we can unpack that for a while but that's the thing for me it can be anywhere on this spectrum it just annoys me it's an interesting one because I think it feels like there's a lot of wanting control of a situation wrapped through that. So for that person to sort of be in control of the situation to make you be vulnerable and out of control means that they have the upper hand. So for them to be able to say, you're being irrational, you're being emotional, you're being annoyed. Yeah, and like nothing makes you emotional, like someone telling you that you're being emotional. It's that thing of, you know, like when you cry when you're stressed or when you cry when you're angry. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that... So many people have had to preface something that they're saying with, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm not crying because I'm weak. I'm not crying because I'm upset. Ignore the tears while I say this thing. It's almost like you have to explain, first of all, what you're feeling. And then you also have to explain why the feeling that you're having shouldn't have an impact on the point that you want to make. You're begging the person to listen to the point that you're making and to ignore all this other stuff. I mean, we spoke about this with Ashani too, where like any level of emotion undermines the point you're making, Mm. even if the point you're making is uh, your behavior is really affecting me Mm. in a way that is beyond me just not liking what you said you know (laughs) and often you don't stand a chance like Soraya Shamali would say that like if you're a black woman then you're seen as like a crazy black woman or you know white women are like mad white women Latina women are like described as like spicy and if you fit these brackets then already you stand no chance of just being taken seriously what we talk about being angry all the time isn't just because you're being irrational or having an irrational thought that's come from nowhere often it's because something has triggered that emotion from you but the person that's done it so in the instance that you're getting annoyed at if you have an emotional reaction that person will see your reaction as being irrational because they're not able to see why on earth it would spark a response that it would like you say about being told by somebody well don't get annoyed um they're endowing that behavior on you in order to put you in a level of 
being powerless, being vulnerable, being out of control. Mm. So immediately what that does is it it's so in the same lines that we've talked about about gaslighting is it shifts the power to say why are you irrationally becoming annoyed by something because it immediately means that you're not able to be level-headed in what you're thinking and you're not being clear or articulate in the feelings that you're having because you're getting annoyed. Um, yeah, and when you're used to being dismissed, not heard or like misunderstood or, or mm. you know, like for the things to be kind of like taken wrong at every turn all mm-hmm. the time and you're used to that it's like you have to make a huge amount of extra effort to articulate yourself clearly to make sure that you are saying this in exactly the right way that it's going to be received and then it's still not received yeah when someone says don't get annoyed and you're not annoyed it just adds mm-hmm. to that thing of like wow like all this extra effort that you're putting in to articulate this for their benefit that's for them that's not for you mm-hmm. that's extra effort mm-hmm. that you're giving to them for their benefit then it's like oh, you might as well not fucking bother you might as well just say what you want to say but trust if you did you've tried that you've tried that a million times yeah. and that doesn't work either so yeah. I think it's just that when you're being told that you're some, you're being something that you know that you're not being <sighs> When you, especially like you said, when that thing is a, a kind of a stereotype or something that's pow- like undermining in a, in a power sense. But yeah, oh, fucking hell. If it's with somebody where it's a tactic in an argument, then they're, they're doing it consciously. You know, it's like being thrown back at you deliberately. Yeah. Then what that is, is going, oh, well, that's just what you do. You get like this. Yeah. I think one thing about it is... This is, I think, what the crux is of if it's somebody you know, anybody you know, it's a non-acknowledgement that the thing that's upsetting you so much might be um, a bigger picture thing. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, when you're trying to express something that is impacting you because of the macro, like because of your experience in this world as a woman or something and these are not just like these are deep experiences that run right to the core of like trauma and all the rest Mm. when that's not acknowledged in the moment so say if you're having a conversation with somebody and you're saying like the thing that you're doing is really difficult for me because Mm. this is something that happens (laughs) all the time Mm -hmm. and I can't Mm -hmm. fucking deal with it anymore and I'm not going to have it from you and the person Mm. goes but I'm not doing that. You know, someone brings it right down to like the micro. So they make it very personal. Mm -hmm. So they go, but Mm -hmm. I'm just a person and you're just a person. And between you and Mm -hmm. me, that's not my intention and you shouldn't take it like that. But then what they don't understand is that every single person who has ever done that to you has also decided that it wasn't them, that they weren't doing it. So it's like, that's why you have to take the macro into consideration. It's like, Mm. you know, (laughs) if I lightly flick you on the shoulder and I'm like but it's me I'm just lightly flicking you on the shoulder but if you've been flicked on the shoulder by every person every day of your life and and every person who's done it has said to you it's only me <laughs> yeah I'm I'm not that I'm not mm. part of this you know it's like again it's this thing of like seeing the ways that we are all a part of a greater system and yeah. seeing the things that we do that we might not see as important that are adding to a bigger picture of the way that somebody experiences the world and just not doing those things. And when someone starts to get super emotional, thinking to yourself, instead of thinking there's a weakness, how can I use that weakness to win this argument? Think to yourself, Mm -hmm. wow, this person is really affected. What might be happening? and What might I be contributing to that is making them feel this way? Though that kind of went from, I mean, my point was a very specific thing of like, 
you're annoyed, you're annoyed, you're annoyed until you get yeah, annoyed. But it's, but it's it is but kind of part of this It's bigger. Thing. Of course it is, because so much of this is this is the beauty of this, <laughs> all of this, is that it's never just based on those people on motorbikes. Like we're not just annoyed at somebody who is being loud. All of this is coming from a bigger place. Like what you say about us looking at our own triggers, which is a really good personal work to be doing. With the being annoyed thing, that, in my opinion, is somebody kind of negging you to get a reaction so that eventually you give them the reaction they 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 need and then they go, see, See, you are annoyed. That's why it's so annoying. That's why it's so annoying because you're like... You've been tested. That's the deliberate bit. To see whether you go there and you did. And you do, and also because you do, when, as soon as you do, when I was younger and I was told, like, I'm going to have it, you know, oh, she's going to have a tantrum. And I'd be like, I'm not going to have a tantrum. I'm not. And then you end up having a tantrum because yeah, you're... Yeah, you have a tantrum because, because that's what, like, you for five minutes, you're going to have yeah. a tantrum. And if, and if they'd stuck to the topic, you wouldn't have had a tantrum and you'd be able to change and grow. <laughs> it is thick, you know what I mean? It's, it's dense because it's exactly like you said. Again, like, yeah, my responses are for me to work on. But at the same time... But if someone's if someone nagging you, if someone's buttons, poking, <laughs> yeah, then, then that's their responsibility, not mine. It's yeah. like my responsibility to walk away. <laughs> At what point do you walk away from a conversation? Because and I and I suppose the point of that is when I always believe that somebody has the right intentions, I will stay mm. in a in a conversation longer. It's like I almost don't mm. twig what they're doing. I'm like, mm. oh yeah, hang on a minute. If I explain differently, or if I if I explain better, or if I have less emotion, or if I hold myself in this way or if I apologize to you in this moment or if I and then suddenly after a point you're like hang on a minute this is not something I need to engage with because then they're not coming from a place where they're genuinely trying to understand they're coming from a place where they're trying to push my buttons and I think for me yeah part of the learning is recognizing more quickly when that's the case and that's going it. rather than being yeah. like so engaged in it that I you yeah. know what I mean what's it called it's a um like it's already kind of written in the stars what am I thinking of it's like it's already gonna happen it's inevitable it's a it's a done deal <laughs> yeah it's I can't remember what the thing is but it's basically that like if somebody says you're gonna get annoyed you're gonna get annoyed yeah. if somebody says oh don't get annoyed when you're like I'm not annoyed I'm just living my life or I'm a bit I'm a bit oh, perplexed you by why though. I can see you're getting you're going red you? look you're going red <laughs> that's fucking weird and by the way that teacher needs to get sacked we had a teacher that said any woman that dresses like with short skirts and a little top and stuff deserves to get raped <gasps> no terrible teachers. terrible teachers that's our other podcast terrible teachers. <laughs> um helen thank you thank you mate it was lovely to get to chat to you for all this time and i'm excited for series two where we can delve a little deeper <laughs> thanks everyone who's joined us in this series genuinely it's really lovely and i'm super looking forward to season two but until then keep on raging is there anything else we need to say at the end i feel all nostalgic what nostalgic uh what's it called that's what fans are for keep smiling (laughs) keep smiling i don't know what you're saying Another, another way. <laughs> I was trying to 
sing like a nostalgic song, but I feel were you just singing Home and Away? <laughs> home and Away. No, quick, we might get sued if we sing anymore. No, I think we were gonna I thought we were gonna get sued the other week for singing Hallelujah, <laughs> so we should just sing like six songs in our own and see what they do. Fuck 'em, come for us. Yeah. And that was the last episode. <laughs> they were never seen again. <laughs> <laughs> You can tweet the show using hashtag LividPodcast or follow us on Instagram at LividPodcast and share what makes you furious. Livid is brought to you by Playwell with music by Ashani Parapanayagam. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. <laughs>